1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you know this little song? If you do, sing along. Do your ears hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Can you throw them over your shoulder like a continental soldier? Do your ears hang low? I love it that you knew that song. It's a great song. It's a nonsense song. It doesn't mean anything. It has more actions to them, but I can't remember them all, sorry to say. Do Your Ears Hang Low is a song that I must have sung hundreds of times in the children's choir at College Hill United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas. And for me, it is a song that's forever linked to a woman named Sally Bushka, who was a very talented musician and who was our choir director for all of my elementary school years. Do Your Ears Hang Low was one of the warm-up songs that she almost always had us sing, and you've probably sung it in a way that you sing it faster and faster and faster and faster until you can't even get the words out. She also loved to use, I like to eat, I like to eat, I like to eat, eat apples and bananas, which is a great song, and if you've never sung it with kids, you're really missing out. Well, neither of those warm-up songs have anything to do with God, right? They don't teach anything about Jesus, but they were just the warm-ups. And after we got done with those silly songs, then Sally taught me and all the other children lots and lots of songs about the love of God. And she made choir fun, and she made it engaging, and she made it welcoming for me and every kid, so that once a month we would stand on the steps of the chancel and we would sing those songs about God for the whole congregation to hear. Sally spent hours and hours with us on Wednesday nights over those years, and she taught us something about who God is. She helped us sing on Sunday morning and she taught us that children belong in worship and that my voice and all voices matter when we're praising God. Now, did Sally Bushka have any idea that I would grow up to love church music as much I do? That I would help to plan and lead worship services for decades of my adult life? I can't see how she would have had any idea about that when she was trying to get first grade Amy to sit still and sing on pitch. But she helped make it happen. She helped lay the groundwork of faith for me and for dozens and dozens of other children. She helped steward the faith. She helped steward the mysteries of God. My favorite professor in college was a man named Dr. Joseph Tyson. Now, he had already been at SMU, at Southern Methodist University, teaching for 36 years by the time that I walked into his Intro to New Testament class as a freshman in 1994. 
and the fact that he had been through the material so many times already with so many students, it did not dim his enthusiasm at all. And from the first minutes of his very first lecture, I was enthralled. I ended up taking three different classes from him on my way to my religious studies major, and he always welcomed my most impertinent questions. He opened up my eyes to new possibilities about the scriptures. He both complimented and challenged my work whenever he gave me back my essay papers. He helped me understand the Bible, including how it's been abused and misused over time. And he quietly nurtured my faith, even while he was teaching me that there were no questions that were out of bounds when it came to reading scripture. Now, did Dr. Tyson have any idea that just five years after I left his classroom, I'd be walking into a church for the first time as a pastor and begin preaching and teaching every week this book that he helped me love and understand? He might have had an inkling, I don't know. We never talked about it. But quietly, consistently, he helped steward the faith. He helped steward the mysteries of God. We're in our third and our last week here of this sermon series, Entrusted, where we've been talking about stewardship. We've been examining what, what are we called to do with the things that we've been given in our lives? How are we asked to steward them on God's behalf? How do we have the chance to accomplish God's purposes with the resources that we've been given? And we've spent a lot of time in the last two weeks talking about money, and that is a key part of our stewardship. But it is not the only thing that we have been given to steward. Think about the things that you have been given to steward, to care for on behalf of somebody else. Many of you have been given children or grandchildren in your lives to steward, right? Little ones to care for and protect and guide until they can care for themselves. Some of us have marriages that we've been given to steward, relationships that have been entrusted to us to care for and to tend. Teachers are entrusted with students. Doctors and nurses are entrusted with patients. Farmers are entrusted with the soil and with crops. Truck drivers are entrusted with cargo. We could name all kinds of things with which we are entrusted, ways that we are asked to be good stewards on behalf of someone else. And in today's scripture, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we have all been entrusted with the most precious of gifts, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have asked been asked to be good stewards of it while we're here. Stewards. That's a word that we usually only use when it comes to airline attendants or maybe those good folks on the cruise ship who move your luggage around or make those cool little animals out of your towel each morning when they clean your cabin. But a steward is really somebody, anybody, who's given management responsibility. In the Bible, the image of a steward is a very common one. And in the scripture, there's a whole lot of different things that stewards do. They could be in charge of a household or a business, even a steward over a whole city, property, or the raising of children. The key is they do managerial work on behalf of another. They, they look after the interests of the boss or the owner. So a steward works on behalf of another. A good steward, good stewardship is faithful and trustworthy management of those responsibilities that a person is given. And, and we saw this last week in the parable uh, of Jesus that we talked about. A good steward takes care of business like the boss would when the boss is not around. So when Paul says, 
in this first letter to the church of Corinth. He says, think of us as stewards of God's mystery. He's telling us something really important about the way he sees his work as a teacher and preacher and disciple. Now, you might remember if you've ever studied the scriptures that the Corinthian church was not a harmonious place. There was all kinds of tension in this congregation. People were broken up into different factions, and they were fighting over who was superior to whom. Some people were even claiming that they were better, more faithful, and deserved more power in the church because they'd been converted by Paul, or somebody else because they'd been converted by a guy named Apollos. The professor, Matt Skinner, reminds us that the Corinthian church was beset by petty rivalries and widening divisions, distinctions the Corinthians were drawing among themselves. Some of them were even dismissive toward Paul and, and eager to make judgments about their worth compared to him. And so Paul, in this letter, in part, is defending himself for, from their attacks, but he's also trying to reorient the whole church in terms of their view of him and their view of themselves. He's trying to tell this little church, you guys, you're missing the point. You're completely missing it, missing it with all this bickering and comparing yourselves one to another. Life inside the church, it's not about who's on top and who's on the bottom, who has the power and who doesn't. He says, me, I'm your founding teacher, but I don't labor for my own gain. Paul says that he is a steward. He's a steward, so everything that he does points to somebody else. His whole life is about pointing to another, to the one with real power and authority, and that, of course, is Jesus. Everything he does, he wants to point to Jesus. He says, I'm simply a steward of God's mysteries, the gospel of Christ. He's reminding the Corinthians he's not coming on his own behalf. He's trying to carry somebody else's message to them. He's not the one that's important. He's doing a work for somebody else. Paul's a servant of Christ, and he works only to see Christ built up, only to see Christ's work done. So he's using this idea of a steward to talk about his whole life, his whole ministry. And I think this is a really beautiful image for us to hold on to as we think about our task and our calling as a church. You know that, that when we hear that word steward in the church, we just automatically think about money, which is okay to think about money, because money is certainly one of the most important things that we have been given to steward. That's why I spent the last two weeks talking a lot about money. But stewardship isn't just about money. Definitely not. Remember that definition, stewardship, faithful stewardship, is talking about the, or taking care of the boss's business when the boss is away. So if we want to broaden our understanding here for the church, we want to put ourselves in line with what Paul is talking about. Our stewardship as disciples is the same as his, taking care of the mysteries of God, which means proclaiming the gospel of Jesus as if he himself were here to do it. So what's this require of us? First of all, we have to realize that we've received the good news of Jesus. <laughs> have you taken a moment lately to appreciate this treasure that's been given to you, to you, to me? We have this gift. We have this person of Jesus. We have this person, this very person of God who walked around the earth. He came, the Gospel of John tells us, he came because God loves the world, because God loves us. And Jesus came not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. And that's what he did. He gave himself. 
He gave himself for us. He defeated the power of sin and death. He removed any obstacle that we could ever have between us and God. Jesus wiped them all away. He secured our relationship with God now and forever. He changed my life. He changed your life forever. And, and Jesus showed us how to live our lives right here, right now, in a way that's full of joy and hope and peace and love. He laid out for us this way of being, this way of living that's all about wholeness and maturity and blessing, even when life is at its very hardest. That's what Jesus has given us. Now, if you knew that already, and I suspect most of you do, somebody else taught you about it. More than someone, actually. Someone or a lot of someone's taught you about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, and it has changed your life. It has fundamentally shaped and guided your life. Somebody brought you to church for the first time. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend who invited you to join them for worship. Somebody brought you to church for the first time. Or if you walked in all by yourself, somebody welcomed you when you showed up. Somebody taught you Sunday school or led a Bible study or hung out with you at youth group on Sunday nights. Somebody sang songs to you that moved your spirit like Holly just did for us this morning, or somebody invited you to be part of a service project or invited you to be generous to other people. A lot of someone's helped you get to the place where you are right now in your faith journey, and that's true if you've been following Jesus for a really long time or if you are just still trying to figure out what it means to call him Savior. Someone acted as a steward of the mysteries of God to you and brought you here. Thank goodness for those disciples. And I hope that, that as I'm talking, that their names and their faces are, are in your mind and in your heart. Thinking of them, remembering them, is a good way for us to remember that we're not meant to keep this good news of God to ourselves. That's not the way this works. The gospel is something that's meant to be shared. Look at Jesus. He walked all over Israel. He did that to share the good news of God's love. He healed people, and he taught them how to live their life in tune with God. Jesus was always on the move, always reaching out to share with more and more people. That's his business. That's what he was about. And if we want to be about his business as good stewards, we're going to do the same thing. Look at the Apostle Paul. Right? The one who says he's stewarding the mysteries of God. What did he do? The reason we even have this letter we call 1 Corinthians is because he went out like Jesus. He went out to new places and new people and began to share the love of God and, and teach people how to live their lives in tune with God. For Paul, being a good steward of God's mysteries fundamentally meant telling other people about God's love and inviting them into the family of faith. He could never understand a disciple of Jesus who wanted to just keep the good news private, who would say religion is a private business, who would want to keep the church doors closed or, or content, be content with just her friends inside the church community. For Paul, being a steward of God's mysteries meant reaching out to more and more people to invite them to know and trust Jesus. And so many other people after him have taken up that same mantle, acting as stewards of the mysteries of God, 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we could be here ourselves. So, of course, you know, you've you already figured this out as I've been talking. Just like Paul, we are called to be stewards of God's mysteries. We are called to share the, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, helping them know the love of our Savior and inviting them into the family of faith. So, as we think about this, just as you've had in your mind and in your heart the faces of those that have helped you know who God is and the love of Jesus, I want to ask you to take a minute to reflect also on someone to whom you can share the goodness and the mystery of God. Someone is placed near to you who could use a hand in knowing and trusting God. Might be somebody in your family. Might be somebody in your neighborhood. Might be a longtime friend or a relatively new one. Might be someone who's never experienced life inside the church family before, or it might be someone who used to be close to God, but let themselves drift away. When you think of them, like when you put a name and a face to that question, I want to ask you today to say a prayer for them. And then I want to ask you to say a prayer for yourself that you might find a way to connect with them and invite them. Invite them to church or invite them to a connect group or invite them to Sunday school or invite them to watch the live stream or invite them to any number of places where they will encounter the love and grace of God in the way that we offer it here at St. Paul's. That's part of what it means to be a steward of God's mysteries here in 2020, here in Papillion, Nebraska. Friends, what a treasure we've been given. We do honor to the one who has given it to us when we share the love and grace of God as far and as wide as we can. Thanks be to God for this holy mystery. Thanks be to God for God's grace. Amen.